Amen. The psalmist said, taste and see that the Lord is good. And I want to testify to you this morning. I've tasted and seen that he is good. There is nothing better than Jesus. Nothing saves like Jesus saves. Nothing or no one. Nothing or no one satisfies like Jesus satisfies. There's nothing better than him. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. If you believe this morning, there's nothing better than Jesus. Just say amen. Amen. <laughs> amen. Wow, that was so powerful. Thank you so much, worship team. To God be the glory, how good he is. Take your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter number 8. And I want to read to you about... Um, Let's see, 11 verses this morning that we're going to look at, starting with verse number 1. Jesus, or John chapter 8, verse number 1, the Bible says, Jesus went under the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again to the temple, and all the people came unto him. And he sat down and he taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground, as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself, and he said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him cast a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest and even unto the last or the youngest. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. Now watch this, verse 10. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you again, Lord, for your truth, your word. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy that comes freely through the cross. Thank you for the sweet, sweet presence. Holy Spirit, I feel in this place. Thank you, Lord, for doing for us what we can't do. Thank you, Father, for each and every one that's here. And Lord, we know none of us are here by accident, but you have us all here for a very special reason. I believe you want to speak to hearts and change lives, so we're asking today that you do just that. You know what I need, you know what we need better than we know what we need. So Lord, have your way and will in each and every heart and life. Move me out of the way and use me, Lord. I can do nothing without you. I relinquish my will to yours, and I'm asking Holy Spirit that you would fill me up, pour me out, and use me today for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God is the God of truth, and he is the God who shows grace. If you believe that this morning, say amen. He is a God, that uh, the God of truth, the God who shows grace. The Bible speaks of that over and over and over again. I'm going to give you some scriptures. Keep your place there in John chapter 1. Jot these down in your notes or in the margin of your Bible will be fine. But it says in Titus chapter 1 and verse number 2, Paul, speaking of the hope we have as believers for eternal life in Christ, he says, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie, can you say amen, 
God cannot lie. He promised before the world began. God is the God of truth. He cannot lie. Isaiah 65, 16 says, He who is blessed in the earth will be blessed by the God who is truth. John chapter 17, verse number 17. If you remember, Jesus said in his high priestly prayer when praying for his disciples and for the church, he says, Sanctify them, Father, in truth. Your word is truth. The God who is truth speaks truth in his word. If you believe it, say amen today. And so God is the God of truth. He is uh, God, uh, the, the essence, the epitome of truth. You can't have truth if you don't know God. You'll never know truth if you don't know God. Jesus himself, the God-man, the Son of God and God the Son, God incarnate in the flesh, said in John chapter 14, verse number 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus didn't say I am a way, a truth, or a life. He said I am the way, the truth, and the life. That means there is no other way. There's no other truth. And there's no other way any of us are going to have eternal life except through the Lord Jesus Christ. If you know Jesus, you know truth for he is truth. He is the God of truth. Jesus was God in the flesh showing us who the heavenly father is. And he said I am the way, the Truth. So God is a God of truth. Now listen to me, folks. Not only is he a God or the God of truth, but he's also uh, the God who shows grace. And that's good news for each and every one of us. Now, Jesus uh, himself, John testifying of him in John chapter 1 and verse number 14. Brother, put that on the screen for him, if you will. John 1, 14, John says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Now watch what he says. Full of grace and truth. Jesus was the perfect mixture of grace and truth. Now, it's important that you have both because if you have only truth and not grace, that's going to lead to harshness, hatred, and finally, it will certainly lead to condemnation. If you only have grace and not truth, that's going to lead to compromise, coddling people in their sin, and disintegration in the end. And so you've got to have grace and you must have truth. I am so thankful this morning that the Savior of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ, was full of grace and truth. Amen. He had exactly what he needed to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And so this morning, I want to share with you right here in John chapter number 8, a perfect picture of grace and truth. We see it in how Jesus deals with this woman caught in adultery. Go back with me there in John chapter 8 and the first or second verse. The first thing that I want you to notice here, there's five things I want to show you here this morning in these 11 verses. Number one, notice the time. Listen to what it says. Then early in the morning, the Bible says that Jesus got up early in the morning. And he got up early in the morning so that he might go to the temple. Now, the, the, the last time we see Jesus, but prior to what we read here in John chapter 8, he's in the temple. John chapter 7, verse number 37. Let me just read that for you. And the last day, the great day of the feast, or 
the Feast of the Tabernacles is what it's speaking of here. Jesus was there in the temple on the feast day. And Jesus stood and cried saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Let me ask you something. Who's thirsty this morning? Who's thirsty for a drink of the water of life? Because Jesus said, anybody who's thirsty, all you got to do is come to me. I've got all the water you need. I've got all the life you're looking for, but it's found in me. Like I said before, no one saves like Jesus saves. No one satisfies like Jesus satisfies. So if you're here this morning, you're listening to me this morning, and you've got a thirsty soul, take freely of the water of life. Jesus said, come to me and drink. Then he says in verse, the Bible says in verse number 38, he that believeth on me as the scripture has said out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Verse 4 Many of the people therefore when they heard this saying said of a truth this is the prophet. So we see Jesus making the declaration on the last day of the feast that uh, he is the water of life. That anybody who's searching for life they need to come to him and drink. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Now the next time we see him here in John chapter 8 and verse 2, it says early in the morning. Now, I don't know what happened that night. I've often thought about it as I've been preparing for this message. Maybe Jesus uh, that night spent all the night praying unto his heavenly Father. He did that from time to time there in the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives. Maybe he stayed up all night with his disciples around the campfire and talked about all the things that had been going on, how sweet that might have been. Maybe he just sat there and looked over the lights of the city as he sat there on the side of the mountain praying for the people that were down below. I don't know what happened, but the Bible says early that next morning he came to the temple. Now why would he come to the temple? Well, to come to the temple meant that you were coming to worship for the temple is the place of worship. To come to the temple meant that you were coming to meet with God. And so the Bible says early in the morning he came to the temple to meet with the Lord there. That's what the temple was used for. Now what does this mean for me and you? Well, folks, let me say something to you. I think it's very important that we seek the Lord early. Let me tell you why I say that. When you seek the Lord early, day by day, you have more of the day to give to Him. If we don't seek the Lord early, many times what happens in my life, I get so busy with the cares of this life, all the stuff I've got to do, whether it be work or family or whatever, I'll go through half or most of my day sometimes and think back, I, didn't, I haven't prayed, I haven't looked at the Word of God, I hadn't done what I know I needed to, I haven't spent time with the Lord. But if I get up and make that my focus early and get a hold of God's truth early and pray unto the Lord early, listen, talk to Him and allow Him to speak to me through His precious Word, then all day long I can contemplate on what I've saw. All day long I can meditate upon what God has given me. And let me tell you what I've come to find out. When I seek the Lord early like that, it's amazing how the Scripture He gives me in the morning fits the day. It's amazing how God gives you truth in the morning that will sustain you through the evening. I can promise you it's important that you seek the Lord early. Now, I know a lot of you might say, well, brothers, I'm just not a morning person. Okay, seek God at your best time, whatever your best time is, but seek the Lord. I just think it's important to seek the Lord early. Listen to what David said in Psalm 63. I love this Psalm. Psalm 63, verses 1 through 8. Brother, put that on the screen for us. Let's look at what... David said about seeking the Lord only, O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee, my soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee, 
in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Let's go on. To see thy power and thy glory. So as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. You know what David said? Lord, I want to experience your power. I want to experience your presence. I'm thirsty for that. I need that. And Lord, if I'm going to get by in this dry and thirsty land, I need the water of your fresh presence daily. So I'm going to seek you early. Then he says in verse 3, watch this. Because thy loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise thee. I love this. Verse 4. This will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. When I remember thee upon my bed, and this is what I wanted to get to. When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. He said, when I begin to meditate, Upon you, Lord, early. <laughs> while, even while I'm still in my bed, you begin to satisfy me as with marrow and fatness. You begin to give me exactly what I need for my day. I'm going to tell you something, folks. I, I, we have some great worship services. Man, this morning, how powerful it was to join together as the people of God and sing praise unto Jesus. Did you enjoy that? Say amen if you enjoyed that. Isn't it refreshing to be in the presence of God? Isn't it refreshing to be in the place of God with the people of God experiencing what the Lord has for us? I, man, I, I enjoy that so much. But now let me tell you something. I want you to get a hold of this. Listen to me. We've got some great worship services right here, but some of the best worship services I've ever been in my life is laying flat on my back in my bed just praising Jesus. When I began to meditate upon him in the night watches, when I began to think about how he's changed my life, when I began to think about how he's blessed me and blessed my family, when I began to think about all these great truths in Scripture that speak directly to me, that I can claim as, as, a, as a child of God the promises of God, when I began to see all of that and I meditate upon him, I'm telling you something. There's nothing like it. I understand where David's coming from when he says, I meditate upon him in the night watches. If you've never tried it, try it. Now listen, spend time with the Lord and do it as early as possible. When you do it early, you've got the rest of the day to give to him. So notice the time, but now let me tell you something else. Notice also the temple. Look what the Bible says. He says he got up early to go to the temple. Now again, the temple was the place of corporate worship for the Jewish people. I can say this. Jesus agreed with corporate worship. I'm talking about gathering together as the people of God. I'm talking about assembling together as God's people and worshiping the Lord. He agreed with it, and I know he agreed with it because he practiced it regularly. You see that all throughout the scriptures. Now, the temple was the place where all Jews were required to come to in Jerusalem during the feast day. All right? And then they had synagogues in local communities that they could come to on a regular basis, a weekly basis. So we see in Scripture where Jesus went to the temple on feast days. We read about it in John chapter 7 just a moment ago. Let me give you another one. You remember in Luke chapter 2 when Jesus was just a boy of 12 years old and he came up missing from Mary and Joseph and they wondered where he was. The Bible says they actually looked for him for three days, but guess where they found him? In the temple. Luke chapter 2, verse number 49, Jesus just looks at him and says, Do you not know that I would be about my heavenly Father's business? <laughs> he was there in the temple. He was there in the temple at the Feast of Passover in Luke chapter 2. 
He was there in the temple at the Feast of Tabernacles in Luke chapter 7. You go through the Word of God and you're going to see Jesus in the temple on feast days. But let me tell you something else. That was just a few times a year where the Jews were required to be in the temple. We also see Jesus in the synagogue on a regular basis. That's where they met for weekly worship. Uh, in their own communities. We see him in the synagogue in uh, Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 30 in Nazareth, the place where he grew up. We see him again in the synagogue in Matthew 4, 13. He's there in Capernaum this time uh, doing his work, his ministry, and he went to the synagogue for to worship. So you say, brother, why are you telling us this? What does this mean for all of us? I'll say this. If you're going to be like Jesus, you need to be practicing corporate worship. Because that's what Jesus did. I'm talking about when it was time to go to the temple, he went to the temple. When it was time to be in the synagogue, he was in the synagogue. For to worship the Lord. Folks, listen to me. I'm thankful that God has blessed us with the technology to send our, uh, our, our messages, our services out over the airwaves. I'm glad of that. But, but now let me say something to you. That is not to replace corporate worship. Corporate worship is important for several reasons. God does things when we meet together that He don't do anywhere else. It's commanded that we are to assemble ourselves together. And if we're going to be like Jesus, we need to do that. That's what He did. He assembled in the temple. He assembled in the synagogue. Every time you see him throughout the, the word of God, when it was time to go to the temple, when it was time for corporate worship, he was there. And we ought to be too. We ought to be too as the people of God. It's very, very important. This that we're doing over the internet, on Facebook and all of that, I'm, I'm glad the Lord has blessed it. But, but now listen, that just supplements what happens Right here. It supplements it. Listen to me now. It don't take the place of it. It shouldn't. If you're going to be what God wants you to be, you're going to be like Jesus. He believed in corporate worship. He practiced corporate worship, meeting together as the people of God. Notice the time. Notice the temple. But now let, let me say something else. Notice also the teacher. The Bible says, John chapter 8, verse number uh, Two, at the last part of that verse, that all the people sat down there around Jesus in the temple and he taught them. Well, praise God. <laughs> Don't know about you, but I thought many times, boy, it would have been great to have been like uh, John and James, Andrew, Peter, and all those original 12 disciples sitting down at the feet of Jesus and having him teach you. And then in a, in a personal quiet time of mine years ago, the Lord revealed something to me uh, and, and in a way like only he can do. I, I've told you before, many times God gives me those two before moments. It's like he takes truth and hits me right between the eyes with it. And that's what happened to me that morning. I, the, the, the Lord just revealed to me, I can do that. And I should be doing that every day. Even though we can't sit physically at the feet of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of the Word of God, we can still be taught by the Lord day by day. And we should be being taught by the Lord day by day. Amen? See, the Bible says that Jesus dwells in me in the person of the Holy Spirit. 
Romans chapter 8 verse number 11 says the same spirit that raised up Christ from the dead now dwells in all those who have trusted in him. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says that we are now the temple of God. The temple is where God dwells. God dwells in the believer in the person of the Holy Spirit. And by the power of the person of the Holy Spirit and the truth of the word of God, we can and should be being taught by the Lord. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse number 16. I'll write that verse down so you can get back to it. But I want to read it to you this morning. Make sure I get it right. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and the 16th verse, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable, praise the Lord, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So with the truth of the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be and are taught by the Lord. He's still teaching. He's still got something for you, for you when you come together corporately to worship. That's why I always tell you folks, ready your heart and ready your mind. Hey, come hungry. The Bible says, listen to me now very plainly. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled. You know what that means? If you want what God's got for you, he's going to give it. So come hungry. Come ready. Come with your heart and mind prepared to hear what God has for you. Come prayed up and ready to receive what God has for you. And when you do, it'll make all the difference. Verse number 17, 2 Timothy chapter 3. For that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The power of the Holy Spirit coupled with the power, the truth, the powerful truth of the word of God is how we are taught of the Lord today and how we grow in our faith. Jesus, the teacher, you need to see that. Well, he's got something for you. He's not hiding from you. He's not hiding from me. As long as we're ready to receive what he's got. Notice the time, notice the temple, notice the teacher, but I also want you this morning to notice the trap. The religious leaders of his day tried to set a trap for Jesus. They were doing everything they could to discredit him in the eyes of the people. You see, Jesus had a big following at this time. He had been there in the Feast of the Tabernacles and all the Jews from all over the place came to Jerusalem. Jesus was teaching, the Bible says in John chapter 7, in the temple during the Feast of the Tabernacles and several, like we read before, had believed upon him. When he came back the next morning after having made the declaration that he is the water of life, people gathered around and so that he might teach them. And so these religious leaders, these scribes and Pharisees, wanted to do everything they could to discredit the Lord because he was taking their crowd. He was taking those who were usually listening to them. Now they were listening to Jesus because they recognized the authority by which he spake, the Bible says. And so here you go. They try to set a trap for him. And, and there's, there's several things that I want you to notice here. First of all, I want you to notice the scribe. Now, the scribe, the Bible says uh, in verse number 3, are the ones who brought this woman to Jesus. Who is the scribe? The scribe uh, was a group of laymen that had been commissioned by the Jewish leaders since the Babylonian cap- captivity to write down the scripture, to copy down the scriptures. Uh, see, in that day, they didn't have the Xerox copy machine or, or word processors or anything like that, so they had to actually manually 
write down all of the scripture, all of the law, and that's what the scribes were to do. You remember uh, Ezra. Ezra in the Old Testament was probably the most popular scribe that I can think of. But Ezra was a scribe who all day long copied down scripture. So they were experts in the law of God, and they were also teachers of the law. These ones that are being spoken of here in John chapter 8 and verse number 3 says they wouldn't only scribe, but they were Pharisees. Most of the scribes were Pharisees, and the Pharisees were the most strict religious sect of the Jews. We talked about Wednesday night, the Pharisees themselves actually memorized the books of the law, the first five books of the Old Testament. So here you have these scribes and Pharisees that work out a plan to try and trap the Lord Jesus to discredit him in the eyes of the people. How did they do it? Well, they first of all, these scribes brought before him a sinner. Notice verse 3. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. So they think they've really got him here. I mean, he's right here in front of all the people. He's supposed to be a holy man of God, a teacher that came from the Lord. And so when he bring, they bring the woman, they know if Jesus forgives her, he's going to go against the law of Moses. Right? If he condones what she's doing, they're going to say, well, he's not keeping the law. If he condemns her, then they know they've got him with the Roman government because he'll be doing things that only the government can do. And so they've set a trap. And notice now, these people who are supposed to be religious leaders, they're not trying to help this woman. They're trying to hurt the Lord Jesus. They're not trying to stand for truth. They're doing everything they can to tear down the ministry of the Lord himself. Let me tell you why I know this. The Bible says they bring her in and throw her down, cast her down right in front of all the people. So you get the picture. This is the next morning after the last day of the feast and Jerusalem is still full of people from everywhere. Jesus at this time has a big following and everybody respects him as a spiritual leader. And here you have these men bring in this woman and throw her down. Before Jesus and before all of these religious leaders, how humiliating that must have been for this lady. See, if they really wanted to help this woman and they really wanted to know what Jesus thought about it, they would have came to him privately. If they really wanted to help this woman, they would have handled it a whole lot different than how they handled it. They're not trying to help her, they're trying to hurt him. They brought shame and guilt upon the sinner. Notice the scribe. Notice the sinner. But now also notice the Savior. Watch what happens. And they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that they should be stoned. But what sayest thou? See, they try to use the scripture to tie a noose around her neck and, and do away with it. They're using the, the scripture as a whipping post. And you know what? What they're saying is true. In the law of Moses, adultery was a very serious offense. As a matter of fact, the Bible actually says in the book of Deuteronomy and in Numbers that those who are living in adultery should be stoned under the law. So what they're saying is true, but now listen, they're showing no grace. What they're saying is true according to the law. 
But they've missed out on the whole point. The point of the law is not just about keeping rules and regulations, but actually changing people, loving people. So they've missed the whole point. Jesus said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. And there's another one likened to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. He said all the law can, be, can, can, can come under those two things. You can sum it all up with those two things. But these people had missed the point. Notice the Savior though, Jesus, got it right. He says in verse number 6, This they said tempting him that they might have to accuse him, but Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote it on the ground as though he heard them not. Now I, I'm going to tell you something. That's, what I love. That's my Jesus. Jesus is cooler than the other side of the pillow, brothers and sisters. He's so smooth the way he does things. The more I read about him, the more I love him. He's so bold, yet with such wisdom. And, and in the midst of all of it, he uses his boldness and wisdom under the heading of love. And he makes all of it work together. It's amazing. I, I, I'm just amazed by him. So he, he, just, he just stoops down. He don't even answer him. He just stoops down and starts writing with his finger in the sand. And there's been a whole lot of debate on what he's writing. Let me tell you what I believe it is. John chapter 2 verse number 25 says that Jesus knows what's in the heart of every man. You know what that means? He knows what's in my heart. He knows what's in your heart. He knows what's in your heart. He knows the heart of every man. I've told you before, I'll tell you again, I can hide from you, you can hide from me, none of us can hide from him. We, he knows what's in my heart. He knows really who I am, and he knows who you are. And I think when he stooped down to begin writing in the sand, I think what he was writing was the sins of those who were standing in condemnation against this woman. Who were bringing accusation against this woman. I think he's writing down what's in their heart. Because the Bible says they go up and kind of, I think they kind of peek over and see what he's writing there. And they begin to clear out from the eldest to the least. Why would the eldest clear out first? They had the most sins. <laughs> They've been here long enough to do some sinning. And they began seeing what he was writing. Oh man, how did he know that? And so they turn around and walk off. i got to get out of here. And one by one they left. Not only did they leave, but the crowd left. And the Bible says then it was Jesus and the woman all alone. I am so thankful when Jesus still gets alone with me. I mean, when, when it's like the Holy Spirit takes his finger and puts it on that very area in my life and says, that needs to change. This needs to change. This over here, you got to fix that. And even though from time to time it breaks my heart, it also blesses my soul. So he got alone with her. He asked her a question. First of all, he faced her and he said this. He said, Woman, where are those thine accusers? 
hath no man condemned thee. Now, so, and she says, nobody, Lord, they've all left. See, everyone who would condemn her could not condemn her because they themselves had sin. But the one who could condemn her because he was sinless wouldn't condemn her. And this is the news of the gospel. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came that the world through me might be saved, John 3, 17. Now you say, well, brothers, does that mean he condones sin? No, absolutely not. No, he doesn't condone sin. Jesus doesn't condone sin. Jesus condemned sin by dying for sin. Jesus doesn't sweep sin under the rug. Listen to me. Jesus saved us from our sin by shedding his blood. Are you getting me? And, and he deals with it in this woman's life too. Listen to me, folks. You've heard me say, and I'm going to keep saying, God loves you right where you are. Listen to me very plainly. God loves you right where you are, wherever you are, whoever you are. God loves you right where you are. But let me tell you this. He loves you too much to leave you like he found you. You can't say you love Jesus and continue in sin. Can't say you love Jesus and continue doing things you know are displeasing unto him. And we all struggle with that. I get it. But he says to this woman, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. So what's he saying? There needs to be a change. There needs to be some repentance. I'm not condemning you. I'm changing you. Amen? Jesus is still in the changing business. He changes us by grace and truth. He stands for truth and shows grace. Wow. That's my Jesus. You need to see the time. You need to see the temple. You certainly need to see the teacher. Listen, you, you've got to see the truth that he gives this woman because that makes all the difference. He faced her, he forgave her, and then he gave her a new life. Notice what she said there. He said, we're all those thine accusers in verse 10, verse 11. She said, no man, Lord, and no man, Lord, no man, Lord, what is she saying? That Jesus is the master. Jesus calls the shots. I believe she's placing faith in Jesus as Lord. And he says to her, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. He's given her Put her in a place so that she might live a new life. Isn't this amazing? This morning, the same Jesus who wrote in the sand 2,000 years ago 
knowing the hearts of all men, still knows hearts today. The same Jesus who changed this woman's life in a perfect picture of grace and truth still operates in grace and truth. We see the truth, the standard of God's word that shows us our sin, and the Bible says we can be saved, forgiven of our sin by God's grace. I don't know what you need this morning. I don't know what God spoke to you. I know what God spoke to my heart. And I hope and pray that you relinquish your will to God's will and do what's necessary during this invitation time. We're about to have a, an, an invitation, and it's for you to come. Listen, if you want to come be born again, I can't save you. Walking an aisle in a church can't save you. Going through a baptistry can't save you. But I can share with you truly through the Word of God what it means to be born again. What it means to place faith in Christ as Savior. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 10, 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There was a woman in John chapter 8 we just read about that called on the name of the Lord. She's forgiven. She has changed. He's still in the saving business today. If you need the Lord, you come for salvation. If you're here as a, as a Christian, you know you've been born again. But maybe the Holy Spirit, just like he's done for me from time to time, has put those, his finger on those things in your life and said, no, no, that, not that, not this over here. This has to change. Well, when God does that, listen, it's time then for us to act. It's time then for us to go and sin no more, for us to do what God wants, whatever that might be. If you want to come pray for a lost loved one, come pray for a lost loved one. This altar is a great place for you to meet with the Lord. Men and women just like us have been meeting at an altar just like this for a long time. You see all throughout Scripture them meeting at the altar with God. If you need the Lord today, won't you come for anything? I'd love to pray with you however I can. Scotty, come on up, brother. I'll ask everyone to stand, please.